The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What's up, Lifehouse? Um, listen, I'm here with Brandon Copeland, number 51, outside linebacker on the New York Jets, and um, we're excited to have him here. Brandon, listen, you know, we're all hyped about football. This is our big day. The season's back. We're done with that preseason teaser stuff. Like the games happen now. What I wanted to do with you is take everyone inside. We forget when we watch football and we see jerseys as numbers as products and stuff like that, that every person on that field is a person. Just that, they, they have a life. If you wouldn't mind, if you can just share with us some of that, tell us a little bit about your journey in life and even to the point of being on the field. Yeah, well, first and foremost, appreciate you, you know, taking the time to, to even have me, uh, to just give you a little bit more about myself. I'm Brandon Copeland, as you said, from Baltimore, Maryland. I just turned 27 in July. In 2013, I was undrafted. After the draft, the Ravens called to be a kid growing up in Baltimore and having an opportunity to sign with the, the Baltimore Ravens was full on dream come true. So I'm on the Baltimore Ravens. I'm with them through week four, get released by them sitting out for two weeks and then the Tennessee Titans call me. Go to Tennessee, I play on their practice squad the rest of the season. I go into the second year, I'm projected to be the second outside linebacker on the team. I'm thinking in my head, you know, as an Ivy League undrafted guy, if I make it to year two with my foot in the door, oh, I'm good. Two weeks in the regular season, I'm cut. I'm thinking, okay, this will be like last year, the year before where I got cut out of Ravens, I'll probably sit out a week or two and then I'll get picked up by another team, Kansas City a call, whatever, no call. As you get into week three, week four, you're like, wow, hold on, like what's going on? And then as you get later and later, you're like, man, did I just really mess up this opportunity? Did I just miss this whole window? But not only are you questioning yourself, you go through those the first, first couple weeks, but then after that, you start to question, where could I have been better? to make sure that this moment, this hurt, this pain didn't happen, this shame I have. I remember being back at home, frustrated, irritated, depressed. To me, personally, my goals, I failed. What's knocked you out of the game? What's knocked the legs out from underneath your dreams and left you at rock bottom? Maybe for you, it's fear, or failure, disappointment or regret, something's probably brought you to the place where you have been at some point at rock bottom, wondering how you got there and what do you do now? I don't know if you know this, uh, Michael Jordan was quoted as saying, uh, he said, I, I've missed 9,000 shots and I've lost nearly 300 games. I have failed over and over and over again. Um, Another one, I don't know if you know this, Steve Jobs, uh, he got fired from his own company. And uh, J.K. Rowling's the author of the Harry Potter series. She was on welfare when she sent in her first manuscript. 12 different publishers rejected her manuscript. And at some point, maybe like then, you have felt like a failure. You, you've taken steps, you've tried hard, you've done your best only to find yourself at rock bottom. And let me just describe rock bottom. Uh, I know you've, you know, but it helps when somebody else describes it. It's that stinky, filthy floor where your face is dirty, your shirt is bloody, and your reputation is stained. When you're exhausted and beat up and you don't feel like you have the strength to even do another push-up and get up off the ground. When you feel like you can't, you won't, 
and you shouldn't have. And if you've ever been there, then you totally get it and you wonder, what do I do next? And you know, it's crazy. Uh, when you're there, you hear the stories from all these other guys, right? So I think about like celebrities and politicians, entrepreneurs and athletes who they, they made a sudden rise and they succeeded beyond anybody's wildest dreams only for them to crash and hit rock bottom. And then there's a few of them, a few that while they're at rock bottom, they, they scratch and they claw, they work and they climb, and they eventually get themselves back up to a place of success and achievement where when you see their stories and when you hear them, they make you believe that anything is possible, unless that is, failure is fresh in your mind. And it's hard for you to believe that anything is possible. When failure is fresh and the stench of rock bottom is in your nostrils, even their stories feel like an empty promise. Because you and I convince ourselves that what works for them won't work for us. No, my failure is final and I can never get up. And maybe for some of you, that, you're at that place right now and you wish you could, but you can't. And there's something holding you down, making you believe that it's impossible to get back up. But I, I'm just curious, what if, I mean, seriously, what if you could, what if you could get back up, stand up to your feet? I don't mean you stand up triumphantly and courageously and confidently like you're ready to fight back. I just mean you stood up like a, like a fighter staggering days back to their feet, not necessarily ready to throw another punch, but at least ready to take another blow. Could you, could you stand back up? Could you rise up this time? And what if, what if you're the opening line of your biography, what if the first line in your resume was this? You're a religious terrorist who is most known for having authorized the murder of the first Christian in all of history. That would be rock bottom, don't you think? I mean, there's not much getting up from there, but that's where our story is going to bring us today. A guy named Saul. He is a, um, a prominent religious leader who authorized the death of Stephen. In fact, I'm going to bring you to the story. It's found in the Bible in the book of Acts, which is the second part of a two-volume set written by a guy named Luke. Luke, the author, is, a, is an educated physician who studied and investigated the life of Jesus and those that followed Jesus, and he wrote it out in a two-volume set, the gospel or the good news from the eyewitness account or the, or the investigative experience of Luke and the story of the early church. And so the book of Acts is Luke's account of that early church. And so I want to just jump right in there. We're going to hear about the story of this guy named Saul, who simply, it writes this. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then in verse, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. In between is the story of a guy named Stephen, who they drag out and they chuck rocks at him to the point where they murder him. That was a common way of killing someone in these ancient times. And the story is just this guy, Saul, who's got the authority to kind of rally a mob to murder Stephen. This guy who loves Jesus, 
And that's his story. And the story doesn't, fortunately for him, doesn't stop there. But you do find a setback moment because this guy, Saul, is, I mean, he's, he gets more motivated in his hate for Christians. And so the next story, uh, or the, the rest of it, continues here in Acts chapter 9. So we're going to jump one chapter later, and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that he may, if, if he found any there who believed to the, they, they belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so here he is, he, he's got the, he goes to the priest, the high priest, to get authority to go all the way to Damascus where he can arrest more Christians and rally the mob to murder more people. Nice guy, right? All right, well thought maybe you guys would find a little bit of humor in there. All right, here we go. So now, now he's on his way. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you fighting against me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And what's crazy is here's this guy, Saul, who's authorized the murder of the first Christian in history. He's doing what he thinks is right because these Christians to him are heretics. They're of the wrong faith. They're, they're defectors. They're abandoning the right and true way. And so he's hunting them down to put them to death because they have strayed off course. And he thinks he's doing what's right and best, but on his way to doing what he thinks is best, he gets struck by a light, knocked off of his proverbial high horse, and he finds himself face down in the dirt, rock bottom. And maybe you were on your way, doing what you thought was best, doing what you thought felt good, doing what you thought would make you happy only to discover that along the way you got struck and you found yourself knocked down in the dirt with your reputation stained and blood on your shirt, wondering, how did I get here? And that's Saul, and you can relate to Saul, because here is at least a part of this story, and it's a central part of the story. It's that here is Saul on his way to hunting Christians, and he sees the light... And here is his discovery, that he was fighting against God. Maybe some of us have been on our way to doing what we thought felt good and was good and made us happy, only to discover that on the way we were fighting against God himself. And the key to the story is this, that while Saul was fighting God, God was fighting for him. Maybe you and I, we've been fighting God, doing what we want and what makes us feel good. And we thought that as a result, God would be fighting us, but what we discover is that God has been fighting for us. And that turns the whole story around. It turned it around for Saul, and it turns it around for us. In fact, the, the takeaway I want you to get from this story today 
And there's a principle that jumps out of Saul's life. It's this. Would you allow your setback to be a setup for a comeback? And just write that down. Maybe, you're gonna, maybe some of you, you need to hear that for the first time. Others of you, you need to be reminded of that. If you're taking notes, feel free to use a smartphone or a tablet. If you're on social media, you can put this in all caps. You might want a hashtag, comeback. And um, it's this. Allow your setback to be a setup for a comeback. Saul is on his way. He sees a light and he gets knocked down and he's at rock bottom. It's a setback to his agenda. It's a setback to his dreams. It's a setback to his current course of action. But that setback is really a setup for God to turn his story around. And so why is it that in Saul's life, he was headed in the wrong direction, what he thought was right, but it was really wrong? Why was he fighting against God? And I will tell you that what was in Saul is the same thing that's in every one of us. It's why we think we're doing what's best, but what's best is actually wrong. It's why when we start heading in a direction that we feel is good for us, it's actually wrecking us and hurting others. It's because the fight in us is a fight called sin. It's what biblical authors and Jesus referred to as the inner fight that drives us against God, to fight against God and go our own way in the way that we think is best, in the way that feels good, in the way that we think will make us happy, but that way leads to ruin. It wrecks us. It hurts others. It might even drive us to authorize the hurt of others. It can destroy our home. Our marriage, family, friends, it can wreck relationships. It can leave us broken and devastated financially. And in that place where we find ourselves ruined, rock bottom, failures beginning to pile up, we might discover that those moments, those setback situations, I don't mean some little minor you know, mistake, I mean wreck. When you find yourself having been confronted by God and he's telling you, you've been fighting against me in that situation, you might discover then that that setback is a setup for a comeback. And I want to bring you back to the story of Saul where I skipped over a couple verses when I was reading about how he authorized the murder of Stephen. So let's jump back to the story because here is where you're going to see a setup moment. Meanwhile, so we read this, right? So I'm going to read it to you again. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, and here's the setup moment. Stephen, the guy that's getting murdered, prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But he doesn't stop praying. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And this little prayer is reminiscent of the prayer of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen echoes a very similar prayer. Lord, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. Did you catch it? Saul is experiencing a setback. He, he's heading in the wrong direction. He's picking a fight with God. And here is Stephen, whispering up a quiet prayer. Lord, don't hold this against them. 
Imagine a guy, Stephen, who can pray while being murdered for God to forgive his murderers. Imagine God hearing that prayer and answering. I'm not sure which one is more shocking, but check it out. Fast forward another chapter where Saul is on his way to murdering more Christians and he's blinded by a light, knocked off of his proverbial high horse, and he finds himself at rock bottom and God is answering Stephen's prayer. You might not realize that some of the setbacks in your life are the answer to someone else's prayer for God to rescue you because you're on your path a path of your own making that may be leading you to ruin. Some of us, we have set ourselves on a course not realizing that if I continue to follow those urges, if I keep giving in to those instincts, if I keep pursuing my own agenda, my own agenda is gonna hurt me and others. And so God allows a setback to my agenda because he's gonna rescue me from myself and set me up for a comeback. What we thought was setting us off course may be God getting us onto his course. Check it out. While you're fighting against God, while you and I, our instincts were to fight against what's best for us, it could be that there is a God who's fighting for you. In fact, that's the story of Saul. When he was fighting against Jesus, Jesus was fighting for him. Jesus had come to earth. The Jesus that Stephen believed in, the reason Stephen was able to say, Lord, do not hold this against them, was because Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he took on your shame and my guilt. He carried our pain to the cross. That sin that leads us to eternal ruin, the eternal judgment that we face, was put on Jesus. So he carried the shame of the world All of the eternal judgment that was stored up for us was poured out on Jesus so that when he died, he absorbed it all. So that anybody who believes in Jesus Christ could be freed from the grip of sin, liberated from the fear of death, and our eternal judgment removed. And we're not just forgiven of sin, but we're given new life because when we believe in Jesus by faith, His spirit enters into our spirit, meaning the same God that we were fighting against who fought for us now comes into us to forgive us and give us new life because Jesus not only died, but he rose again from the dead and in his resurrection, we find new life and eternal life. And this turns our entire story around. It reframes our setbacks. It transforms our failures and our fears, our regrets and our shame. And it turns setbacks into a setup. And maybe you're here and you need a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of hope. And so we asked Brandon to share a little bit more of his story. So if you would, check this out. So during that time, I mean, you're you're trying to seek after God, but like, I mean, like, What are you praying? What are you asking him at that time? I was never mad at God, to be honest with you. I realized that like God is giving you those answers. You just have to open your eyes and accept them. Even if those are the answers, again, if those are the answers that you may not want to hear, may not want to accept, at the end of the day, that's his answer. And so I ended up speaking with my agent and signing up to play arena football. 
I'm down there, I unpack all my bags, I lay down on the bed, and I get an email, hey, you've been invited to the NFL, the veteran combine. Yeah. What? This was, combine had never happened before. Hasn't happened since. Happened that one single year, they invited 100 guys out of 1,400 or so applicants. Out of those 100 people, only two people made NFL rosters that season, and I was one of two people, right? The one year I'm out, you give me that opportunity to fight for my chance to get back. And the entire time, I was working in faith that some way, somehow, I'd get some type of opportunity. Going back into the league, I signed with Detroit. Been there, the was there the last three years. The first preseason game, I get deemed the starter. The coaches come and give me the green light to start. Go into that first preseason game and make a tackle on a running back, and my arm goes back too far, tear my pec tendon. To keep me fighting and pushing throughout the process, the rehab process was like, God didn't bring me this far just to leave me here now, right? Heal up from the injury, work my tail off to get back strong. Things don't work out with the lines and I end up signing with the New York Jets and the schedule comes out and who are we playing this week? The Detroit Lions, first week of the season, Monday night football in Detroit. It's one of those moments where you gotta look at God, I'm sure he didn't bring me this far to, to leave me. God has some major plan that I'm just still living. I'm just finding out. I'm being surprised every day, right? And so I just need to continue to prepare for that opportunity. I'm looking, looking forward to it. Monday night for me will be the culmination of a lot of hard work, a lot of prayer, a lot of failing, a lot of small successes, a lot of pain. As a football player, you want to go out there and compete and win, but for me, personally, on a spiritual journey, I'm going to look up during that game and be like, how amazing are you? How can I thank you like, for giving me this opportunity, for giving me this platform, for giving me this day, for giving me the breath? And, you know, it'll be something etched in my mind forever. Brandon, we can't thank you enough. Um, thank you so much for being here, taking us inside the NFL. Uh, you guys, no matter which team you support, make sure you rock a little bit of green this year for Brandon. Please do. We love you, Lifehouse. Isn't that cool? And I hope you caught it. Brandon's comeback is not about football, right? It's about discovering that these setbacks in our life may be a setup for God to do something. Something that we didn't even know he was doing because we were, we were interpreting all of our life circumstances through our agenda, through our dream, through our desires, through our view of the future. And then failures and frustration, fears and disappointments began to pile up and we find ourselves face down at rock bottom believing that we can't get back up and what we discover is that us getting back up isn't about our strength or our ability or our story but when we can rise up in God's strength because he wants to write a story through our life then we discover that those setbacks are a setup for a comeback not a comeback of our own making or a story of our own writing but a comeback designed by God so that we can find ourselves as part of his story and in fact that's what Saul did uh, later on in the story Saul changes his name to Paul 
not just because it rhymed, but because it was a, it was a defining moment when he was making a statement that he is not who he once was. Not only did he change his name, but he went from murdering Christians to inviting other people to become Christians. He, he, he wasn't just, now he went from hunting churches to starting churches. And from, from taking people's lives to giving his life, serving the church. In fact, he used his business. He was an entrepreneur that would use the money he made to start churches as he traveled all around Asia and Europe. In fact, after he would start a church, he would train up pastors to lead that church. And then he would move on to another area, another city, and start churches in those areas. Some of the cities, he got beaten in fact, in two different cities, they try to stone him to death. And one of those uh, cities he went to is the city of Ephesus, a prominent city in the Roman Empire. And he raised up a pastor for that church. His name was Timothy, a young man that Paul had, or Saul, who changed his name to Paul, had trained. And later in life, he writes letters to Timothy. Those letters become profoundly known as First and Second Timothy. His first and second letter to Pastor Timothy in the city of Ephesus. And I want to read to you a little passage from one of those letters because it's the key. It's the first step in how you can allow your setbacks to become a setup for a comeback. And it's this. Let me just kind of read it to you. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Let, let me rephrase that for you. This is a saying that you can build your life on. When you've hit rock bottom, this is the rock you stand on. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. Did you get it? That's the key. All right, let me, let me explain. Here's what, the, here's what Saul does. He goes, I want you to build your life on the fact that you recognize that God came to rescue us when we were far away from him. When we were fighting God, he fought for us. Here, here's the key. To make a comeback, we got to get past our past. That's the point, right? We discover that we were fighting God, but he was fighting for us. Jesus isn't fighting against you. Jesus is fighting for you. Some of you, you feel like God has been putting roadblocks in your life only to discover that God was blocking your way from destruction. God may have been hindering your course of action, but your course of action was going to ruin you. And so at some point, like Saul, we recognize that there is a God who is rescuing us from ourselves, then inviting us to get past our past. Saul was willing to acknowledge, I was the worst of them all. I was. I am not what I once was, and that's the key, right? At some point, I've got to get past my past because most of us live our lives in the past tense. And that's, don't, that's just, that doesn't just happen when you get older. It happens when you experience pain, when you experience shame, when you carry guilt and regret. You start to live your life in the past tense. You become past-oriented. You think about the hurts. You think about the failures. You think about the regrets. You think about the shame. And those moments define us. 
But let me be very clear what Saul experienced was the transformational work of God where he discovered, I am not what I once was. I am not what my past says I was. I am who God says I am. Let me be clear. The failures in your life are only final if you live your life in sin and regret and shame. But when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are freed, freed from shame and guilt. You are freed from sin so that now you are freed to leave the past behind you. It's not that you, uh, it's not that it's not part of who you are. It's that it no longer defines your future. It no longer defines your identity. Paul who was Saul, recognizes that I was the worst of them all, but Jesus came to rescue me, which means this. While previously your failures were final in sin, now your failures are not final. They are simply an event. They are not your identity, meaning you are no longer what you did. You are who God says you are, and you are forgiven, and you are transformed, and you are given a new life. Many of us fear that God is embarrassed by our past. So don't miss this. God is not embarrassed by you. God is not embarrassed by what you've done. God is not embarrassed by your shame or your regret or your pain. He died on the cross for that very reason, meaning he, he saw your shame and he put it on himself. He allowed your stain to go into his reputation. He allowed uh, the, the pain, the regret to shed his blood. He died because of our regret. He wasn't embarrassed by you. He fought for you when you were fighting against him. And because God is not embarrassed by you, he is not embarrassed to call you his friend. He is not embarrassed to call you by his name. He, call, he, he loves you and he knows you by name. He considers you one of his children and he has invited you into his family. Don't you dare walk around wallowing in self-pity when God is celebrating over you. God is rejoicing over you. God is defining you with a new name and a new reputation, but you have to be willing to get past your past, but don't stop there. This is a, it, it, it's one step, but remember in one step, there's two parts. You're leaving behind and you're heading toward. You're getting past your past where God draws a line in the sand and through faith in Jesus, you are stepping past your past. But what are you stepping toward? Well, let's jump back to the writings of Saul who becomes Paul. He writes a letter to another church, the church that he started in the city of Philippi that was experiencing persecution a persecution he started. And now the churches he starts are being impacted by the fight he began. In fact, many years later, well, let me say this. So years after he starts these churches, he gets arrested. He gets thrown into prison for telling people about Jesus. And from a Roman prison, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And so he writes this. I love it because it's, the, it's, the, it's where you're stepping from here to here. He gives the explanation. Remember, he's writing this in prison. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now check this out. Here's what he's saying. He goes, literally everything that I once thought had value, my agenda, my accomplishments, my achievements, my goals, I consider them of no value if I could simply know Jesus and follow Jesus and become everything Jesus meant for me to be. That would be more than enough. So he continues. This is how he concludes this writing. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I mean, it's not like I'm there yet. I know I'm in prison. I'm facing death. But it's not like I've yet accomplished everything God created me for. But one thing I do, right? This is the one step forgetting what's behind, getting past my past, and straining toward what's ahead. Here's what I do. This is the one thing I do. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's the one thing I do? In getting past my past, I'm pressing on toward the goal of the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's the key here? To make a comeback, I not only get past my past, but I've got to press toward the future. I've got to leave behind what was holding me back. I've got to leave behind my old way of defining myself and seeing myself, the failures that have piled up in my life, and I've got to press toward. This is the one thing I do. I forget what's behind, and I press on toward the future that God has for me. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if you're sitting here and you think you're too young for this to to matter in your life. You're not too young for God to have a plan and purpose for your life. And you haven't outgrown, you haven't grown past the destiny that God has in your life. I want you to hear me. God has a destiny written into your DNA. He has designed your life. Your life is, you are not here by accident. I don't care what anyone has ever said to you, what anyone has ever done to you. I don't care about your past failures, your past regrets. Your your biggest mistakes are not too big for God to redeem. God loves you, he knows you, and he is rewriting his story into your story regardless of what your past story was. God is inviting you to a future-oriented way of living where most of us live with a past orientation. We live focused on our past. God is inviting us to live with future orientation where I wake up today and I do not allow my regrets and my shame from the past to define what might happen today. Where today I wake up and I say, God, what do you have for me today? What new things are you wanting to do in my life and through my life? Tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say, God, what do you have for me today? How can my life matter for eternity? I want my life to be defined by you because I've been forgiven by you because when I was fighting you, you were fighting for me and now you're giving me new life and in that new life, you've given me a future. Some of you, you need to stop living in the past. Stop letting the past hold you like an anchor. And you need to cut free from the past and start living with a future orientation, not defined by what you can do or what you can accomplish, but defined by what God wants to write into your life, a God-written life, a God-written comeback. Now for each of you, what is that step you need to take today? Can I encourage you? Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Regardless of what got you here, regardless of the resume 
that you've created, the failures that have piled up, you're here by the design of God. This was an appointment written in heaven for you to encounter God. There's an opportunity for you to experience a life change. And if right now you're ready to take that step of faith, stepping from your past into a new life in God through faith in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to make a commitment right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, Patrick, that's me. I'm ready to take that step. I want to step from my past, my failures and my fears, into a new life through faith in Jesus. If that's you, again, would you just raise your hand? Would you let us know that you're ready to make that commitment? And for those of you that are raising your hand, I'm going to take a moment. I want to pray over you. For others, you believe in Jesus, but man, you've been wallowing in self-pity and you've been living your life defined by your mistakes and defined by your failures and your fears. And you're ready to step from your past into a future-oriented way of living defined by God. If that's you, I want to pray over you right now. So would you let me pray? Jesus, thank you that when we were fighting against you, you were fighting for us. That you're not embarrassed by us, that you know us by name. You know every story of every person that's hearing this message. And God, you love them and you are for them. And God, for those that are saying yes to you right now by faith, God, I pray that you would meet them in a powerful way, that you would forgive them of sin and you would give them new life. And God, for each one of us that believe in you by faith, I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith to step away from our past into a future-oriented way of living where our comeback is not one of our own making, but it's a comeback where we are inviting you to write your story into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.